following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. So again, you can turn, if you haven't already, to the Gospel of Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 26, uh, 28, sorry, and that's on page 869 in the Pew Bibles. Um, so today is a special day in our church family as we're having a baptism right after this sermon. Uh, we're very excited about that. And in many ways, baptism is a picture of exactly what this passage in Luke is really all about. So in our passage for this morning, um, Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees about who he is and where his power comes from. Um, their argument is, uh, the Pharisees' argument is, untenable and inconsistent and honestly ridiculous, um, but it gives Jesus the opportunity to challenge all who would listen, um, would challenge them to pick a side. Uh, so let's read our text and then we'll dive in. Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and all the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against itself, against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through water, and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. Then as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that, at which you nurse, nursed. But he said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, again, we come to you in need of your help to understand your word, to apply what you have for us, this truth, to apply that to our lives. We pray, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would enlighten us, open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, Soften our hearts to receive your instruction and correction. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified by this time. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for your spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have Jesus casting out a demon. Like last week, we're talking about hell, and this week, it's demons. This is just weird. This is a lot of fun. So Jesus is casting out a demon that makes this, made this poor man mute and unable to speak. Now there is, uh, there's no question that Jesus had done this miraculous thing 
right in front of everybody. But there were some in that crowd uh, that Matthew, in his account of this um, event, and identifies as the Pharisees. And they, uh, the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. Um, verse 15 says, Some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now, uh, you may recognize this name, Beelzebul. Maybe you've heard Beelzebub. Um, Either way, they are both names for Satan. Um, I can, a funny story about this name. I don't know why it's funny, but uh, one of my ancestors, Wild Humphrey Keniston, who was kind of a rogue in Wales, had a horse named Beelzebub which kind of speaks to his character, so I, I, don't, I shouldn't have shared that at all. So <laughs> these, uh, this name, Beelzebul or Beelzebub, um, the word means dung god or lord of the flies. Perhaps you've heard that expression before. And this is a name borrowed from a false, the false god of Ekron, uh, Beelzebub, Beelzebub uh, which you can read about in First Kings chapter 1 if you're interested in that sort of thing. Now, we know that the Pharisees, um, generally, when they interact with Jesus, are motivated by jealousy. Jesus is a threat to their influence, and influence means power, right? Um, They're trying to tear down Jesus, but here he had clearly cast out a demon. Everybody saw it, Uh, and now they've got to figure out, okay, how do we we make him look bad after doing this terrific thing, right? Right? Uh, he cast out a demon in the presence of the crowd, and they couldn't deny that there was supernatural power at work in him. So instead of denying that there was supernatural power at work in him, they called into question the source of that power. It's not by the finger of God. It's clearly by the devil. But Jesus knew their thoughts. This is one of the most powerful statements in Scripture, I think. Jesus knew their thoughts. There's tremendous power in those words. Jesus knows the thoughts and the intentions of people, of the Pharisees that day, of you and me today. Jesus knows our thoughts. And the thoughts and intentions of these Pharisees were far from pure. They're not standing up for the people in order to defend them from false teaching or to defend them um, from demonic influence. That's what they should have been doing all along. Instead, they're standing up to Jesus to protect their own influence over the people. And they're clearly desperate. He's done something amazing. Quick, guys, what do we say? How do we deal with this? He's going to win everybody over, and we're going to lose our our influence. Some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. I'm sure that you have heard that expression before, that a kingdom divided divided against itself can't stand, or cannot stand. This was an expression that was not unfamiliar to them either. This this was a common saying, uh, even at the time. And it's ridiculous to assert that Satan would destroy his own work in people or to cast out his own agents. This is tantamount to civil war, um, which tears down countries and constant strife within households, and they end up in ruins. 
But Jesus fires back at these Pharisees and questions them and exposes their hypocrisy. He says in verse 19, If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus is saying, if demons can be cast out by demons, why aren't you questioning your own followers for doing the same thing? You don't ask them where they get their power from. You just, because they're your followers, that's clearly from God, right? They're on your team. That must be God at work. And you don't like Jesus, so you're trying to figure out something else. Why is it okay for them, but not for Jesus, to cast out demons by the power of God? You can see that this man has been set free from a demon. You can, uh, why can't you admit that it was the power of God? That set this man free. Why couldn't they say that? Because they had chosen a side. And their side was not the side of Jesus. It would be impossible for them to recognize that it was by the spirit of God that Jesus was casting out demons. Because that would mean they would have to admit that the kingdom of God had come to them. That Jesus really is Messiah. But they didn't like him. They didn't like his way. They didn't like his... Uh, taking influence away from them. Their little kingdom of religious influence and power was crumbling, and they were desperately trying to hold it together. And Jesus goes on to give a great picture of exactly what was going on in the spiritual realm through his ministry and even in that very moment. In verse 21, Jesus says, When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Now, I know we all love an underdog story. Jesus is not the underdog. This, uh, the strong man in this picture is clearly Satan. He's fully armed with all his devices, guarding his palace, guarding the goods, which are the hearts and minds of his captives. But when one stronger than he comes, that's Jesus. And when he attacks him, he overcomes him and takes away this armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Now, this is, this, this is really good. Like, this is, a, this is a good, this is really good. I don't know how else to say it. This is really, really, really good. Because Satan is a defeated foe. Right, Our enemy has already been defeated at the cross. His power is broken, right? But that doesn't mean he's gone. Not yet. We talked about his final destination last week from Revelation 20, right? Let's remind him. It's the lake of fire, but he isn't in there yet. But don't be misled. We are still at war. The church is still at war. But we are not at war with people. This is really important for us to remember. I've said this before. People are not our enemy. Satan is. The kingdom of God is at war with the kingdom of Satan. But those who reject Christ are not Satan's soldiers, though they unwittingly act on his behalf. Instead, they're Satan's captives. They're slaves, whether they know it or not, just like the poor man who was possessed by the demon that made him mute. People are not our enemy. They're captives. 
and we ought to have compassion on them. Not anger, not frustration, not strife. When Jesus says to pray for our enemies, that's what he means. They're not really our enemies. They're, in con- they're being controlled by our enemy. But they're victims, and we should pray for them. Jesus makes it very clear that there is no neutral ground. In verse 23, he says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is an incredibly powerful statement, and it's one that we need to have a good handle on today. There is no neutral ground. Jesus is declaring here that he is for the kingdom of God, and there is only his way into it. There is no other way to gain entrance to God's kingdom. Not the religion of the Pharisees, not efforts to be a good person, not doing good works, not practicing some other religion, thinking that they're basically all the same and all lead to God. They don't. Jesus is the only way to God. That's it. Jesus refers back to the man who is now free from the demon in verse 24. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. Now, this is not an extensive study on demonology or anything uh, by Jesus here. What he is saying is that this man who had been exercised of the demon now has a choice to make. And neutrality is a choice. The demon had gone, but it wouldn't be gone for long. If this man did not put his trust in Jesus so that he might be filled with the Holy Spirit, that demon would come back and he would bring friends. And he would find his old house all cleaned up and ready for a party. And that poor guy would be worse off than he was before. This guy who had been healed of the demon couldn't just say, wow, thanks, see ya, and walk away and expect things to be okay, because they would not. To choose neutrality is to choose the enemy, because there is no neutral ground. I'm sure I'm not alone in knowing people that have received wake-up call after wake-up call from the Lord. And for some reason, they might praise Jesus for the help, but they don't put their trust in Jesus and give their hearts and lives to him and walk away and choose neutrality, choose the enemy. It's heartbreaking. In that crowd that day, they also had to make a choice. The man cleansed of the evil spirit had to make a choice. And all of those people watching had to make up their minds. What do we do with Jesus? What do we do with Jesus? Because there is no neutral ground. There is no neutral ground. There is dead and there is alive. That's it. Those are the choices. We can choose life through faith in Christ or we can choose death by rejecting him. Or saying, maybe later. 
Maybe after I get my life cleaned up. Maybe after uh, my kids move out and I have time for Jesus. Maybe, 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 maybe. There's dead and there is alive. That's it. Either dead because of sin or alive because of faith in Jesus. Those are the only two options. And when we stand in judgment, like we read last week, when we stand before that judgment throne, that's going to be the question, what did you do with Jesus? Faith in Jesus means your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Indifference, neutrality is the same as rejecting Christ. And your name does not get written in the Lamb's book of life. You do not gain entrance into God's eternal kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2 says, You were dead in the trespasses, in, in the trespasses in sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which, with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now, these folks that are getting in the water today have made their choice and are being baptized to publicly declare that they trust in Jesus to save them from their, from their sin. They've accepted the truth that Jesus died in their place on the cross, that they have turned from their sin and have committed to following Jesus according to his word. That's what baptism is about. That's why we're doing that. And if you still haven't made that choice, you can right now to put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin, to accept the truth that he died on the cross, the death that you deserved because of your sin. You can turn away from that sin, your life, your desires of the flesh, and follow Jesus according to his word. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and do it. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray, and I would invite those who are um, going into the water today um, to go change if you need to change, and we'll meet down here and go in an orderly fashion into the tank while everybody else is singing. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your great love for us. We're so amazed by your grace by which you saved us through faith in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would continue to speak through your word, that you would be pleased uh, by our gathering, by our, this baptism this morning. We're so grateful for your great love for us. We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for your grace through Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. 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 If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, 
Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.